Lovely, lovely friends. How's everybody doing this morning? It is 6 a.m. It is uh, Wednesday morning already. Hard to believe. So very, very hard to believe. Hey, we're in 1 Peter chapter 4, and uh, we're going to work our way through, I think, just about half of this chapter. Uh, maybe we'll go further. We'll see how far we make it. Uh, looking at how shall we live in light of God's grace. Good morning to Christy over on the YouTube side this morning. Um, just pointing that out. So my accomplice, uh, Don, knows that there's somebody on the YouTube side this morning. First uh, Peter chapter 4. Let's jump right into it here. And uh, here we go. Therefore, 
Therefore, anytime there's there there's a therefore, you ask what's it there for. You would take this passage and relate it back to what was just shared in the in the previous passage uh, in chapter three. So you go back to chapter three and you say, okay, what was chapter three saying? And it's talking about it's better to suffer uh, if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Uh, then it talks about the, the water baptism uh, and what it uh, symbolizes. Speaking of Jesus who's gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels and authorities and powers and submission to him. Therefore, in uh, light of that, what do we do? So you go to chapter 4, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, uh, because he who suffered in his body is done with sin. The idea of um, prepare yourself to suffer. Prepare yourself to suffer uh, in, in your body. Prepare yourself to suffer in saying no to, to the sinful passions that... Uh, that want uh, seem to want to overtake us. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude, the attitude of, of um, not only did he suffer, um, not only did he suffer in the crucifixion, but he suffered in constantly and continually uh, resisting sinfulness. Uh, he resisted sinfulness uh, so that it could be said of him, he committed no sin. There was no sin found in him. Uh, and sometimes to resist things requires suffering. Just think of resisting sometimes maybe food things that we know we're, we're saying, hey, we're trying to lose weight. So we're trying to resist eating sugary things or uh, we're trying to resist eating pastas and breads and things like that because we're trying to lose weight and be healthier. And um, it requires some suffering, suffering when you really want to have that ice cream. I went through the co-op yesterday to pick up something that I can't find anywhere else. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't get it at the co-op. But uh, Wendy needed something, and I, I knew I could find it at the co-op, so I went and found it. And on the way out, the... The, the girl at the at the checkout says, uh, oh, my, this ginger, this is really good. If you tried the ginger ice cream back there, I'm thinking, hmm. And she goes on and says, it's so good. We don't eat ice cream. And uh, we're avoiding ice cream except for Yasso, W, not W, uh, Y-A-S-S-O, which is little tiny balls of, chocolate, dark chocolate covered um, yogurt, frozen yogurt. It's really good. It's a great substitute for ice cream. It doesn't have all the carbs in it that other stuff has. I mean, part of me is like, well, let me go back and get some of that ice cream. No, we're not going to do that. You have to resist. And there are other things that we, we would resist. Maybe it's resisting uh, drunkenness. Uh, anybody that might be inclined toward alcohol, uh, that maybe has a problem. Maybe it's uh, resisting. Um, it's just any number of things that we might opt to to say we need to resist. It says because he who suffered in his body is done with sin. So it goes on and says this. 
As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for human desires, but rather for the will of God. And this is this is what it's saying we should do. We should be living for the will of God, not just for our own human desires. That's not to say that we're not going to live in this body, but as a result, uh, we're saying, God, how do I please you? Um, and, and this gets close to home for any one of us. You know, fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. What What is the area for you uh, that's the greatest struggle, the greatest area to lay aside uh, evil human desires? Now, there are godly human desires and there are evil human desires. What might you put in the blank is your area where, where you would say, hey, I struggle with this, this area of evil human desire. You know, if you were to share with another woman, if you're a woman, or if you were to share with another man, if you're a man, sometimes even that isn't safe anymore. Um, what would you say, hey, here's the area to pray for me. Don't put it in the comments. I mean, if you want to put it in the comments, you're more than welcome to. Some people might say, just pray for me because I, I really have a hard time with food. That's fine. Others of you might have things that would be a little bit more um, salty than that and things that perhaps the whole world need not know about. But what would you put in as an area of overcoming, uh, an area to suffer in the body, an area uh, to, to live the rest of the earthly life, not for the human desires, but for the will of God? There are things that we put aside uh, because we follow Christ, because we have the grace of God, because we have the example of Christ who suffered in his bodies. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude that we would suffer in our body to overcome things that would keep us from living smack dab in the center of the will of God. Verse 3 says, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Now, it's very interesting that uh, Peter uses some of the same language that Paul uses. The word, now, again, these were not the words they use because these are English translations of these words, but they use the word debauchery. They use the word lust. They use the word drunkenness. They use the word orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. In those days, they had idols, literally idols that they would go and worship. Um, orgies. I mean, the idea of, of swingers and the idea of you know multiple sexual partners. That's the idea of an orgy, and an orgy perhaps all at one time even. Uh, carousing, that, that might be running around and having multiple sexual partners. Drunkenness or uh, given over to uh, any number of controlling substances. Uh, debauchery. Uh, let's put this in a New Living Translation and see what it renders verse 3. This is what it says. You've had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. Their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties and their terrible uh, worship of idols. I, I think actually the New Living Translation 
perhaps uh, cleanses it a little bit. I, I think the New Living Translation, perhaps in this regard, in this account, is a little weaker. Let's see how Peterson puts it in the uh, message you've already put in your time in that God-ignorant way of life, partying, uh, parting, partying, there, say it right, night after night, a drunken and uh, profligate life. Now it's time to be done with it for good. You know, don't live that way anymore. Let's go back to the NIV uh, 84. Um, you know, Christians should not be known for these things. Uh, these need to be the things that we put aside. Uh, for me, when I became a Christian, I, I put aside drinking alcohol. Now that I'm 40 years older in my faith and in a different place, I, I, I would have an occasional drink. But um, because it's not an issue for me. But there are other things that, that would be much more issues for me. Uh, and so we look at our lives and go, where do we struggle? What do we put aside? Now, there might be other things that we would put aside that aren't in this list. Maybe it would be gambling. Uh, maybe it would be, you know, going on playing the, the online slots. Um, any number of different things we could put here. Now, Peter goes on and writes this in verse 4. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. Uh, I know when, when I gave my life to Christ and, and really started living with Christ and for Christ, uh, I had friends, what, you, you won't drink anymore? What's wrong with you? Uh, you don't want to look at nakedness? What's wrong with you? You don't want to, you know, all these different things. Uh, you know, you don't want to, participate in in the locker room talk about the girls what's wrong with you nothing was wrong with me everything was right with me made right by christ so sometimes our friends will right here think it's strange that we do not plunge with him in the same flood of dissipation and, and they abuse us it says but they will have to give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead now ultimately we're going to be judged not not only for the things that we have done, but we'll be judged for what we've done with Christ. And for the believer, hopefully what we've done with Christ is we've placed him central. Chapter 3 talked about there, chapter 3, verse 15, says, therefore, set apart Christ as Lord of your life. When we set apart Christ as Lord of our life, we allow him to dictate the things that we do and the things that we don't do. That is what it means to set apart Christ as Lord of our life. Um, we are ultimately saved by faith. You know, if if we've committed some sinful act, like is listed in verse 3, that isn't going to keep us from heaven. Sins don't keep us from heaven. What keeps us from heaven is lack of faith in Jesus Christ. And yet, if our faith in Jesus Christ is real, bona fide, legitimate, saving faith, it will change how we live. Uh, it will have an impact on the things that we make important. It will have an impact on the things that uh, that we take to heart. It will have an impact on on our values. Uh, it, it'll have an impact on how we live our lives. So when it talks in verse five about giving an account to him as ready to judge the living and the dead, I mean a message for all men is this: 
we are all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It is. It says this in Hebrews chapter nine, verse twenty-nine. It's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. We will all face the judgment. Only those that can indicate with sincerity that they've trusted in Christ will be welcomed into heaven. But all men still will be have a sense of judgment for their sins. Those that have not responded to Christ suffer eternal. Uh, banishment from from heaven, eternal separation from God, uh, eternal uh, imprisonment in, in in the fires of hell that, that burn, but uh, do not uh, vaporize things. So we'll give an account. They will give an account. We will give an account. And it goes on and says this in verse 6, For this reason the gospel is preached even to those who are now dead, that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit, spiritual life being given to us. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Now, here's what's happened to us in our day. What's happened to us in our day is, is we will hear things like the end of all things is near. Now, I, I've had different prophetic, over the years, different prophetic uh, websites, YouTube channels that I have followed, and sometimes it's like, you know, they, they make everything sound so alarming. Well, here I am numbers of years later, and it's like, okay, none of those things that they're talking about are really happening, not a one of them. Uh, and so what happens is we begin to scoff. Now, sometimes I think about some of these, okay, you, you maybe have overly dramatized things, wanting us to feel like sometime in the next year, some big thing is going to happen. As an example, the rebuilding of the temple. You know, I, I've read in the last five years that, that the temple in Jerusalem is, is about to be rebuilt. It's been five years. Uh, or I'm using five as a, a general measure. Uh, it hasn't happened yet. Uh, now, maybe everything is set. Maybe the table's set. Maybe they're ready to do that. But but when it happens, it's going to happen rather quickly. But it has been a while. And yet, we need to hold in our hearts because Scripture places it. The Lord Jesus places it in, in, in such light. The Apostle Paul places it in such light. The Apostle John in the book of Revelation places things in such light. And right here in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, he places things in such light that the end of all things is near. So therefore, be clear-minded, self-controlled, so that you can pray. It's interesting how this is stated. Be self-controlled so that you can pray. When we're not living a self-controlled life, when we're not living the type of life that... Uh, that God is wanting us to live, it, it affects our prayer life. We do not have confidence coming before God. Uh, we, we lack confidence coming before God when we're not clear-minded, we're not self-controlled, we're not living the way that God wants us to live. So how should we live in light of the grace of God? Uh, verse 7 tells us this, be clear-minded, be self-controlled, be prayerful. That is how we should live. Uh, in light of the fact that Christ could appear at any time. Uh, that's how we should live in light of the fact that 
the end of all things is near. But then he continues on and tells us how we're to live in relationship with one another. Not only is it a personal thing, not only is it a case that that we need to have our own personal morality, and we do. And and I've known Christians, and perhaps you've known Christians, that that really seek to try to live a moral life, uh, (coughs) excuse me, maybe even somewhat of a self-righteous life, uh, and they don't do these things, and they don't do these things, and they don't. And and, and sometimes I disparage that. I, this morning, I want to commend that practice and that type of life, um, except for when. And I remember 30, 40 years ago, there there was this type of life that as long as you're moral, it doesn't matter how you treat people. Well, the Lord Jesus put a high premium on right human relationships. And uh, so we need to think about how we treat people. So he says this in verse 8, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. So we should love each other. And not, not only does it say to love each other, it says love each other deeply. Care for each other deeply. Get into each other's lives. Uh you know, when, when people are bearing burdens, we, we come into their lives to, to help them bear the burden. We, we come into their lives to pray with them. We come into their lives to speak words of encouragement to them. Um, we come into their lives. This is the loving each other deeply. That When there's a need, we try to help meet the need. This is what the Apostle Peter is saying. We need to love each other deeply. You know, not just uh, a, a hello in church during greeting time. Uh, and, and we can't care for all people at the same level, but if all of us had relationships with, with a few other people in the life, and, and many do, for the record, but with people in the life of a local congregation, and we're involved in each other's lives, the amount of care that would be there. And this is where I think we need to decentralize ministry to a certain measure by pushing discipleship, by by encouraging the life of the disciple, because if we live as disciples, we will love each other deeply. If we live as disciples, we will care for each other deeply, as Jesus told us to do back in John chapter 13. And Uh, verses 34 and 35, and as the Apostle Peter is saying right here that we're to love each other deeply. But then it concludes and says this in verse 8, because love covers a multitude of sins. It's a love that grants forgiveness. It's a love that extends grace. It's a love that doesn't doesn't hold things Hold on to things. And sometimes we do that. Sometimes we hold right on to things. And, uh, you know, someone offended us and we're going to hold it against them and yada, yada, yada. And, uh, but love covers over sins. You know, it, it isn't someone fell down, so we're going to uh, deride them. No, someone has fallen down spiritually, someone has fallen down morally, so we extend the hand. And give help up. That is what we do. That is how love covers a multitude of sins. Now, it isn't saying, hey, just keep right on living that way. 
but what it is doing is saying, let me help you. Let me walk with you. Let me walk beside you. Um, let me grant forgiveness. Uh, I, I'm going to act like nothing ever happened. And uh, now sometimes that is challenging. Sometimes you try to live that way and, and, and people will still hold something against you. Uh, sometimes you, you go to someone and try to make things right and they're going to hold right on to it for months and months, if not years and years. And friends, the only person that is uh, impacted by that is the person who who holds on to it in that type of a way. I mean, we, we, we place ourselves into our own prison uh, in unforgiveness. Forgiveness sets us free. So to forgive someone who has maybe sinned against you, who has done something that is uh, grievous to you, to offer forgiveness, uh, it's liberating to us and our own person. Now, it continues on. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, what's the grumbling? Sometimes the grumbling is that, you know, we, um, well, if they would just do something to take care of themselves, that, that's the grumbling that sometimes happens. If they would just lift a finger, uh, no, they're not saying that. Just offer the hospitality. You know, if, if Christ extended his grace to us in the way that we sometimes extend grace to one another, what a miserable life it would be. Absolutely miserable. Why? Uh, because he could grumble about, he knows us better than anybody. And he knows every, he knows every thought. He knows every word. He knows every attitude. He knows every action. He would certainly be one that would have room to grumble against us. So we follow the way of Jesus. And, and that's how I'm encouraging us to live is, is to live in the way of Jesus that we would extend hospitality to one another. Now, hospitality, let's see what how this is rendered in the New Living Translation. That is verse 9. Uh, this is this is the way it puts this. And this is you have a pastor that is really good at this. It says, cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Now, uh, at least the first half of this, cheerfully share your home with, with people. Jacob and Courtney uh, are so very, very good at this. Uh, Wendy and I are much more administrative in, in the types of works that we do, um, both uh, at camp and, and for college and for church. Uh, and, and this isn't, I wouldn't, I mean, we can be hospitable to people. Uh, we, we do invite people in. We have a good time. We do it. My wife is very good at, at doing that. But we we don't open our home as, as much. And this is a thing, a Christian hospitality is, is something that, that I know some people have talked about that, you know, let's let's work at becoming more hospitable. Let's work at opening our homes more frequently to people. Um because it helps us to build relationships. When you can be in someone's home or when they invite you into their home, that's a level of intimacy that, that goes a step further. Again, I just want to highlight Jacob and Courtney are so very good at this. But verse 9 continues and says, not only cheerfully share home, don't just invite people in, but those who need a meal or a place to stay. Uh, I mean, th this is this is now taking it to another level. Um uh, and it can be hard. It can be challenging to 
uh, open your home. There's a sense of sacrifice that, that needs to be made when you offer a meal or a place to stay. But Peter says, do it cheerfully. Open your home in this type of way. Let's get through these last uh, couple of verses here uh, before our half hour is up. It says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Um, what is your gift? Some of you have a gift of generosity. Some of you have a gift of prayerfulness. Some of you have a gift of uh, encouragement. Uh, some of you have a gift of helps. Um, whatever your gift and Peter, and this is the New Living Translation, says, uh, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Now there are now there are spiritual gifts, uh, and often we're given a package of spiritual gifts. I don't have just one gift. You don't have just one gift. But to ask yourself, what is your greatest gift and how to lean into that because that's what God has intended you to do, but also to lean into your other gifts as well. Use your gifts well to serve one another or to serve the body of Christ. Do you have a gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Wow, that that's what's that saying to me even this morning? Do you have a gift, the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. And everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Some of you have the gift of helps. Some of you uh, maybe perhaps have the gift of speaking and communicating. Uh, some of you have the gift uh, of uh and the desire for evangelism. Whatever your gift, use it for the glory of God. I mean, we are called to be fruitful. This is one of my favorite verses. John 15, 8 says this. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciple. So in light of grace, how do we live? In light of grace, we try to live above the sinful fray of this life. Uh, because of grace, we seek to live in love relationship with others inside and outside the family of God. Because of grace, we've been given gifts. We try to use our spiritual gifts given to us that we might serve others well, all ultimately for the glory of God. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Lord, help us today to make application of this, that we might glorify you, whether it's escaping from our sins or serving others. Help us to glorify the Savior today in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow.